Hello and welcome to the Evolve podcast, hosted by me, Simon Bocco, where I interview successful people who talk openly and honestly about the journey they've been on to become the person they are today, sharing stories, insights, tips and anecdotes along the way. It's a great opportunity to learn from entrepreneurs, business leaders, creatives and technologists who've all taken very different paths to success. Thanks for coming on, Mel. So uh, welcome to the podcast. I thought it'd be really good to do one of these with the person who kind of helped me from the start of my business. So you were there at, at kind of day one, kind of helping me, mentoring me, guiding me, all of those lovely things. So obviously I've introduced you in terms of how we know each other, but it'd be good if you kind of introduce yourself in terms of kind of what you do at the moment and kind of what your background is. Sure. Well, I'm really happy to be here, Simon. And, you know, we've known each other for a few years and I really value the time that we have together. And I'm just delighted whenever I speak to you that you say that bit of information or that advice you gave me last time, it's really helped. And I'm now making more money or, you know, I've got more time or whatever. So, you know, it's really it, it just makes makes my heart sing. That, that I'm, a, I'm a good I'm a good pupil. I actually do listen. You know, when you, ask, <laughs> you, when, when you tell me to do things, I do do it. I take it on you, board. Yeah, you actually do it as opposed to just listen as well, which is good. Um, so um, so so you you've known me for a long time. We we met uh, when I was advising um, a number of different businesses in the enterprise M3 Growth Hub, which is something I was involved in for a while. But my background is in working in very large companies and very senior global sales and marketing roles. And now I sit on the board of several smaller companies as well as running my own company and advising them in the different really cool sectors. So I work in cybersecurity, railways specifically, space and satellite communications, which is just so hot and so exciting, and global hyperscale data centers, but specifically with a focus into China, which is an area of the world that I've, I've become fascinated with. What I've done is I've taken my... About 30 years of experience of working in customer facing roles, managing large accounts, winning major business, running sales teams, coaching sales teams and working on global sales strategy. I took that into setting up my own company and doing the same kind of thing and helping um, large companies with winning mainly defense and security related projects for a number of years. Um, And then I've moved out into these other sectors, which kind of build on my my experience and background working people like Fujitsu and Serco and and so forth. So I'm currently on the board of Razor Secure, Clutch Space Communications, and I operate in a kind of director of marketing role for Chiora, which is in, in China. Yeah, so I think you always, I'm not going to say you're the pioneer of the portfolio career, because <laughs> I think someone did it way before you. But I think, yeah. you know, I think it's a really good lesson for lots of people, I think, and it'd be interesting to get your kind of take on that. I think since we've known each other, you've always been into kind of kind of interesting and quite diverse things and I guess it's something that I do I see as a portfolio in the sense of like an investor would de-risk their investments by having a portfolio I kind of see that in a career sense as well and it'd be good to get kind of your take on that. Yeah no I actually I do think that way I mean you know I'm, I'm quite a strategic thinker but I've worked for a big company for a long time Decided when I left, I would never do it again. I would never be owned by anybody. I'm not, as you know, one of those people that likes to be put in a box. Um, Don't really like to follow rules. I like to make them up. And when I see a shortcut that makes things more efficient and where the outcome is going to be reached more effectively and more quickly, I'll take it. 
big companies don't really allow you to do that. They constrain you. And so um, when I set out to build my, my own company originally, it was just about the freedom to do what you want to do and to express yourself and to be able to represent yourself. And I remember one of the first contracts that, that I won I was sitting there talking to the prospective customer about the price of the contract. Now, I'd come from this really big company where, you know, there were oodles of processes, paperwork, committees, if you wanted to do anything. You know, everything was judged and controlled and very, very lengthy and quite onerous. And I sat opposite this guy who wanted to buy some, you know, staging, staging of consultancy. And he asked me what the price would be. And I'd worked out roughly what it was going to cost me to deliver it and therefore what profit margin I wanted. And I suddenly realized that the number that I gave him was all going to be mine. It was my decision. I didn't have to ask anybody's permission. And it was kind of this moment, kind of like, like of like slow, slow kind of format, like falling from the air. This moment is I realized that my destiny was entirely in my hands and the money that he was going to give me, the profit that I would make from it, would allow me to buy a mini convertible, which was the thing I always wanted. And you've yeah. seen that yellow mini convertible. And, and that I bought with that very first contract. And that was just the most exciting piece of freedom and reward. And from that point onwards, I never looked back. And so, you know, I've, I've been asked to join these different companies' boards because I have that big company experience and process but that fresh thinking outlook and that way of kind of being quite creative and big picture thinking and being able to sort of look at all of this stuff and pick out these things that are relevant and going to get somebody from there to there quickly and I've applied that in my own career so I've I've not joined everyone who's asked me I've been very specific uh, and strategic in looking at industries that interest me, industries where I can bring my experience and my great black book in those industries, yeah. contacts, and where I can really bring some benefits to those companies. And, you know, um, all the companies are growing really successfully, um, both through investment and um, and kind of, you know, their future potential. So, And I think the thing for me, I remember when when someone bought me rather than bought the company, you know, like it wasn't a name over my head or some credentials that I had of launching Nike in the US or whatever it was. It was, I've got nothing other to to sell you than me and my experience. And someone says, yes, I'll buy that. And hopefully for a reasonable amount of money. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a real sense of kind of freedom to that, you know, And, and also I think you can drive an engagement in the way that you think is the best. You know, like like you've said, in terms of no more processing paperwork and the slow way. There's a there's a smarter, nimbler way to do things. Yeah. And so, what was the kind of point where I guess the tipping point between working for one of these large companies and then going on your own? Because I think that's often a big kind of fear for people, isn't it? You, you have that comfort of, and depending how big that company is, it might be large salary, pension, life insurance, shares, whatever it could be, to then effectively move to what used to be someone in a, you, you in a fax machine in, a, in a, an office or whatever it was, but now it's a bit more modern. What was that kind of tipping point? Well, um, it was a number of factors that came together at the same time. So um, so firstly, and, I, and you know this, is that I'd been told at least three times in my career that I was too entrepreneurial. Now, no one... I mean, it used to say you don't get fired for buying IBM. Well, you would not fire somebody because they were too entrepreneurial these days. But we're talking 15 years ago, 
people just like didn't think that way you know as in you know, a startup companies there are a few dot coms in the 90s but you know in the 2000s there weren't so there weren't so many of them and people weren't really doing it as much but you know i was always told because of this way i was always thinking well you know we could do that that better we could do that and i i didn't really want to kind of follow the rules people didn't like that so i always knew that culturally i was coming up against something that was for me quite personally frustrating and then there was a time in my life so my you know my kids were getting older um i didn't i kind of need to work in a comfortable company which offered me that sort of flexible working i want to take some risks you know you see you know life is passing by uh, life is finite you want to go and do something and and i suddenly seized the opportunity and i look back i look back on my childhood actually and you know i think when i was growing up um as an only child with a father who actually i think was a bit of a closet feminist although he didn't know it at the time and he certainly wouldn't admit it but he pushed me really hard to achieve you know he pushed me to do things that other people necessarily wouldn't do so i always grew up feeling that there was nothing me that could stop me if i wanted to do something and that was a great gift that you know that he's given me mm. So these things were kind of bubbling along and and then there was a uh, kind of a great point the company that I was working uh with at the time had this and I, and I won't I won't name it but it just had this terrible issue publicly where something terrible had happened elsewhere and you know it was looking like we weren't going to be able to grow the business for the next 2 years because there was a strict restriction on government contracts that were being given and I was working a part of the business that where we had grown multi-million pound pipeline and we were, you know, we'd get down selected to two or three for several opportunities. And I, I'd run this team. We'd had the strategy. We were seeing the fruition of this. Suddenly, government funding was being withdrawn. And I could see the next two years, nothing was going to happen. Not through my own work, just because of what was, whatever was happening elsewhere in the company. And for me, that just wasn't. I was like, no, I, I don't want to be. I want to don't be doing this. Why am I going to sit here and tread water for two, for, you know, the two years plus? Why do that? That was the point I decided to leave. And yes, it was risky, but it was so exciting because I was at a point in my life where everything had been preparing me for this moment. So you know, that that's that was kind of it. And did you go into it with a kind of long term plan, or was it just this bit's not good? This thing feels exciting, and it was as simple as that. Or did you have a a kind of end goal in mind. Yeah, so um, I, I went into business with um, with a, a lady who had left the company. Right. And uh, she she and I went in as co-partners. She said to me, I'd really love to do, I'd love to set up my own business, but I don't want to do it on my own. And I and I thought, well, I could set it up on my own, but it'd be really nice to have somebody to work with. And, she, you know, she and I knew each other well. Um, and so we, we decided to kind of go along. No, there was no strategy to it. Uh, we knew what we, were, what we could do. We knew what we could sell. Mm. But we actually said, let's just try and make some money. You know, consultancy, it's, it's not something our business is going to be bought in the long term or acquired by somebody. So it was, let's see what we can do. Let's prove to ourselves we can do this. We can make this happen. And so we did. And um, we started winning some really big clients. You know, we were working with people like Airbus and Sodexo, the now defunct Carillion, sadly. But we had some really big uh, customers that, you know, that we grew the business to over the over the four or five years when we were working together before she retired. Had some big contracts with the Ministry of Defence. And, you know, it was it was you know, it was a great period of time. And at that time, I was starting to get interested in some other sectors as well. 
Um, so I'd had a history of working within the space security industry and I came across Clutch Space and I came across Razor Secure and, you know, those kind of relationships matured into the, the board positions that, I, that I've been with for a while. I think there's something interesting in, like you said, this kind of, I guess, kind of a two-person business and your winning contracts from Ministry of Defence, Airbus, you know, and I think, I guess from my experience, might not always be the case. A lot of these larger businesses tend to employ or, or hire other larger businesses. So it'd be good if you've got any kind of tips there in terms of, you know, because on the face of it, of course, I, I'm a big believer that if you want different thinking or you want a different approach, then it doesn't make a difference if there's two people that are in the garage and started yesterday or whether you're a FTSE 100 company, if you're the right person for the job, we should all work in a meritocracy. But unfortunately, this doesn't work like that. So it'd be good to understand kind of how you managed to secure those kind of contracts with big players. Quite, it sounds like quite early when, when you started your business. It's having sheer balls to network is, <laughs> is the honest truth about it. And, and you know, using the black, using the black book that, that, that I had and the relationships I had. And I was quite well known. So, you know, it was a lot about personal relationships at the start. Um, people knew me and trusted me and they, they'd known what I'd done and achieved. So, you know, they were willing to take the meeting. But taking a meeting is one thing, converting it into a business is another. And, and so, you know, you, you have to be able to prove that you've delivered other really good quality business and got references for those business. Mm -hmm. And we didn't just deliver as a two-person team. So we had about 25 associates working with us. So subcontracted resources that we that we used that were people that we knew and trusted. So we emulated that respect and trust uh, model. But you know, I've always been a great believer that you know the, the big four consultancies, you know, quite often companies will put their trust in them, but what do you get? You get a graduate who actually hasn't got any business experience and they may be working alongside a principal who has got experience, but the principal is stressed and working on lots of different um, contracts. With us, you've got our experience, our personal service, but you've got you've got us and our and the people that we have working for us, the subcontractors, were in their own right, highly experienced. Yeah. So you weren't getting any kind of dilution of resource. And companies saw that as as a big plus. Very easy to work with us, very easy to contract with us. Um, I think some of the bigger organisations, especially people like Ministry of Defence and so forth, for the last few years, they have been much more open to contracting with smaller companies. They've put measures in place. In fact, my company advised the National Air Traffic Services, NATS, about how they could do that. So we did a piece of piece of consultancy advice all around procuring and opening your doors to SMEs and how you can be much more SME friendly. As an example, um, you know, to how what principles and business models they could they could adopt. My proudest moment, I have to say, was uh, was when one of my major customers said to me, for uh, bid support, so people that are helping on major major procurement and sales opportunities, my two main suppliers are Jumelia, which is the name of my company, mm. and PA Consulting, yeah. and I go to them equally. That was my proudest moment because PA is a massive company. But he saw us equal in terms of the quality of output we could get and that was because of the team because the ethos is the delivery so that, that that's kind of how, how it's happened and so you mentioned that's kind of your, your your proudest moment are there any other kind of for you your journey as an entrepreneur was that 
as I say, clean sailing because it never particularly is for anyone. But, you know, how rocky was that? Any kind of highlights along the way that you'd like to share? Oh, what rocky highlights or rocky lowlights? Well, both. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think for me personally, I think you can learn a lot from the negatives, really. I think um, I think you're, you're quite like me in terms of uh, you're such a positive person. You've got such positive energy that, you know, something goes wrong or doesn't work. It's a learning opportunity and we bounce back and, yeah. and do things better as a result. So it'd be good to kind of understand perhaps kind of some of those, because I think with a lot of these kind of conversations that happen on a podcast, I think people pretend that they just cruise through lots of rounds of investment and then, they had an amazing office and a huge team and a foosball table with not a lot of effort. But I think the reality is very different. So it'd be good to get some some of the realities of, of, of kind of what it's like on that journey. Well, uh, a couple of things then. Uh, a couple of the a couple of the low points that, that have happened in in this in this career point, which is, you know, companies and the and and the unexpectedness of of doing business with some companies. So, so I mentioned uh, Carillion, the now defunct Carillion. Mm-hmm. So Carillion as actually actually took you know everyone by absolute surprise that Carillion went out of business yeah. like it did so very quickly. Uh, you know, we lost thousands and thousands of pounds as a business uh, from that relationship. In good faith, we paid our suppliers, we paid the people who'd done the work. So as a company, we took the knock. Um, would I have changed anything? I don't think so. I, I think, you know, we took a, we took a loss um, on, on that contract, mm. but, you know, we took a lot of profit out of that contract as well. Um, I, I think there's very little you can do to mitigate when very large companies you know, go under. I think what what we did was we we did have a, a spread portfolio of customers, and it's really important when some of the companies that I talked to um, that I have advised in the past, they seem to think that having one major company that is their big customer is a is a good place to be. Yeah. Um, and my advice is always no. You know, you need to have multiple sources of income. You need to be constantly thinking about how you're doing your business development as well as your delivery. I know you and I have talked about that time management and how ideally you should be spreading your time so that you're you're not just servicing your customers, you're not just administering the business, but you're thinking about the future, about winning more customers. And constantly, you know, there's a very good series of models that you can use for, for, for making sure that you protect yourself. So although we, you know, we lost business, but, you know, that, that was that. Another low point is just not underestimating the impact that your thing changes in your personal life can make onto your business. Yeah. So especially if you're a founder um, or director of a company. So, I mean, you know the detail around this, but I had a really very, very extraordinarily rocky period four years ago, which took my whole personal life in a different direction and uh, with children to think of they had to come first so you know for a while the business had to take a back seat and things had to be shifted around and moved you know always have some form of protection in place I had my co-founder who was able to support me very heavily at that time she's not there now so she's retired but you know it's you always have to be thinking about what happens if you know you know protect your health protect your family and just have a have a have a what if what if plan because you know that that took my attention very significantly in different directions for a full year and and after that it, it, it changed significantly so you know that, that that would be um those would be my kind of two major low points you know, it sounds like that kind of management of risk or, or mitigating risk is kind of key isn't it i think with the carillion example 
you know, even if you credit checked them, you would have been good. You're never thinking, yeah. like, you know, the worst thing you think you're going to get out of Carillion is some poor payment terms. You know, you're not expecting them to not pay at all. You know, I think so. There's, there's almost nothing you can you can do about that. But I think on your second point, it's very true. I think there's lots of businesses that become over dependent on the founder or the person who runs the business, and ultimately, if your business cannot function without you, and you have some problems, you effectively have no business until you come out the other side of those problems or you ignore your problems carrying your bu- your business and then you know I've had people who've got PTSD for example as a result of it because they haven't dealt with those things so I think it's it's kind of really important and I know I'm very conscious of you kind of think you're a robot and you can go on forever and 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 unfortunately I'm not the terminator I need to have a break and you know you need, I think you need to kind of have like you said those people around you that can, can pick those those bits up should then something come up yeah having a support structure is really important yeah inside the company or outside the company you know whether it's people that you lean on mentors that you can talk to advisors that you've got and also it's important is that if you're if you're if you're running a small business and you have the intention to go and raise funding to understand that the health of the founder is actually looked at quite seriously by potential investors you know, so, you know, making sure that you've got key man insurance. It's called key man, but I don't know why. <laughs> I'm a key man key person insurance. It should be. But, that you know, but that the health of, it's very easy as a founder to work all the time, all the hours. You get to exercise, you don't look after yourself. Mm. It's really important that you do because uh, investors will look seriously at your health and they'll see you as a risk to the business if, you, if you're not, if you're not looking, looking after yourself. Um, that's been true too for one of the businesses that that, that I know. Mm. Sure. And you mentioned kind of, uh, and obviously I'm a big advocate for that. Hence our, how, how we met in terms of kind of having that support network and coaching and mentoring. Is there any kind of particular people in your life kind of that have been on that journey and kind of helped you? And it'd be good to understand kind of how that's kind of factored into kind of your success today. I have a very, very wide support network, so uh, I don't tend to rely on one or two people. And uh, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to. Uh, I would advise other people differently, but, right. but um, I tend to, uh, I tend to listen to my gut and my uh, my instinct and and take my own advice. But um, I like to take sort take lots of multiple sources. So um, you know, listening to experts and people that have done it before, and looking at people that I might follow. I don't necessarily have one or two really close people that I would um, share everything with or take advice from. And it's very difficult because, you know, working across multiple industries means that you might be able to find somebody who's particularly knowledgeable in an industry, but not somebody who's, you know, I've not met anybody who works in cybersecurity, space communications and data centers in China at a board I haven't met anybody like that so you know it's 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 difficult and being female as well I think there are different issues there you know I have founded my own lean-in circle in the area and you know I'm very strong believer in female support networks I'm very strong believer actually in 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 helping to guide other people as you know and so you know I've done a lot of work with schools talking to um, year eight, year nine, year ten pupils, specifically at the age where you're trying to crystallise what it is that you want to do, and trying to talk to girls, especially, and say you can do anything. So I'm kind of doing what my dad taught me, yeah. but as a woman who's done it, I think. But that's kind of a 
It's just, you know, it's well, it, must, it must be good. I do, I do the same thing to my daughter. You know, she'll say, oh, so-and-so is, boys are better at this or so-and-so is better at this. It's no, you can do whatever you want, whatever you put your mind to. Yeah. As long as you put the effort in and you practice, mm. you can be far stronger than your friend or you can, do you know what I mean? It's whatever it is that you want to achieve, you can. I think that's kind of really important. And I guess it's good to hear that you're instilling that in kind of adults of the future and the kids right now. And I think, I guess what's interesting for me is you've kind of always had that kind of caring, nurturing, coaching kind of part of you that, that comes naturally. It's not forced. It, it's something that's kind of inherent in, in, in who you are. And I think, is that something that's always been the case or, or, or this kind of come later? Uh, I think it's it's maybe always been the case. I'm, I'm a kind person. So I'll always try and help people. You know, in the, in my professional life, when we were setting up the associate model, we took on a lot of people that are ex-forces. And so I actually gave a lot of my free time mm. uh, to people that were thinking about leaving the military within the next 18 months. And, you know, they heard all these glorious stories about how they could become these top flight consultants, you know, earning hundreds of thousands of pounds a year and they wanted to talk to somebody in industry who was an employer of those kind of consultants who who could give them a reality check and could help them understand what the difference is between working on civvy street and being in the forces yeah and the realities of you know we talked about options and choices and different models and you know i really enjoyed doing that and some of them then came on and became associates and others went on and worked for you know some of the big companies and we stayed in touch and uh, and you know they became people that we could you know we could network with for for future business so I think it's always been been with me um, I've just taken on a new role because uh, you know me I like to <laughs> the portfolio grows the portfolio grows but it's it's, it's an unpaid voluntary role so um, I'm working with um, a secondary school in Hampshire which is where I live in the UK um, as an enterprise advisor so I'm essentially a link between the school's career network and the business world and so you know they have their um, their virtual careers fair running and what I've done is work with the careers advisor and gone out and sourced videos uh, because of course we can't get can't have business people going into school at the moment but videos on zoom of people talking about their careers and lots of different industries um, and I've just used my network to be able to do that and um, I've obviously provided one myself and hopefully that they're, they're, they're going down down really well so yeah I think it's always been in me and um, I think it's really important to give to people I'm kind of I believe in karma and I'm a an altruistic person I think if you if you give out you do get back and I don't give to receive but I do tend to receive and uh, and, and I think that's that's a good call yeah I think I think that's really important I think you spoke about in life there's there's kind of givers and there's takers and I think if you're a taker you can only get so far yeah. and I think eventually you'll become an island rather than bringing people with you you'll end up becoming an island if you're a taker all the time because you'll take everything and there's nothing left is my is my kind of thinking. I know some people might say, well, you know, that means to you, Melanie, you're never going to be a, you know, an Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or that kind of level of success. Not nothing about their personality, but their success levels. But actually, I'm happy. You know, I'm yeah. happy. I, I feel like I have a very good balance between interesting and exciting work, stimulating roles, um, reward and return, and the rest of my life. So, you know, and the ideal portfolio career is all about. I think. Yeah, I think you get that kind of fulfilment from the diversity that sits within there. And also, by definition, you get to choose, you know, so there are no bad clients, because you chose them. They're partnerships, they're not 
service based things either. So I know in my industry, in kind of agency, the clients who said, look, I just want to make it blue or want to make it red are not the ones for me. That's not a partnership if you want to do that. There's a copy of some design technology, some design program, off you go. You know, it's those kind of partnership long-term things. And it sounds like you've really got that, which is a real appeal to people. So if someone said, I've listened to Mel today and uh, this portfolio career and this, this kind of diversity that you've got is kind of for me, how would you say is the kind of the best way to, to, to go about that and kind of build that kind of network and portfolio? Both Because I think the challenge for a lot of people is, you know, it took me a very long time to build a strong network where I could say I could work on a bit of that and a bit of that. But I think maybe perhaps when you're starting out in your career or quite early, it's difficult because you haven't necessarily got that, that time in which to do that. So any kind of tips for anyone at kind of both ends of the scale if they're thinking about kind of building a portfolio career, kind of what the steps might be? So if you're early on in your career, um, I, I really suggest that you don't tread on anybody going up because they sure as hell will tread on you and uh, in, in future times. So, so just remember that anybody you come across might be useful to you in future times and, you know, treat them graciously and with respect because people buy people and uh, it, it's all about goodwill. If people like you and they trust you and they also believe you can do what you say, they'll talk to you. If they believe you can do what you say, but they don't like you, they're not going to talk to you. So, you know, in terms of um, how you're going to build those strong networks for the future, think of everybody as potential route to that future network and keep in touch with people and don't be afraid to network outside of your, um, your usual kind of sectors. Later on, it's really important to show that you've got a, um, a very wide experience level. So if, you, um, if you're looking at a board role, you need to show that you've got extensive business management experience. So, you know, you've operated a P&L, you've managed staff, you've um, understood and administered and executed strategy. Uh, you, you know, you've worked at different levels in a business and different roles. Um, you would find it difficult if you haven't, because that's the kind of broad experience people look for. But that generally um, in um, a NED role or a, a board role, you know, they'll look for a specific capability. Yeah. So you can search on LinkedIn, LinkedIn NED roles or LinkedIn board roles. And they'll say, you know, we're specific. This, this organization is looking for one and they want specific expertise in accountancy or somebody who's worked in um, in a large business um, in outsourcing services with managing supply relationships. And so if you if you think about where you are now and where you where you think you want to take your career to, if you're looking at a board role at the end of it or an advisory role, um, then try to broaden your experience and look now to see what other people are looking for and network very widely um cannot you know stress that enough board roles are often unadvertised some are advertised they generally will come from um relationships that you have where people will will want you because they've worked with you before certainly the 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 one i have in china um has come out of that uh, that very particular experience of working with somebody in a different sector in a different role who understood very much how i worked and they trusted me and they said, I only work with people that I trust and I trust you and I want you to come work in the business. 
and that that was how that that started and it was a conversation over a glass of wine so you know don't underestimate any any of those kind of social opportunities uh, and any opportunities to network and just go and put yourself out and talk to people and it, it say this is what i'd like to do put it out there and it'll come yeah and i think if you agree with me on this i think in professional services people got to remember that you're the product you know so if your iPhone, you're trying to sell someone an iPhone and the box is broken and it doesn't really work very well, it's going to be difficult to sell. Where if it's this beautiful unboxing and it's all slick and all put together, I think people then are much more willing to pay. And I think that trust element, I think, comes from, like you say, kind of long-term relationships that you that you may have built. Yeah. But I think trust is something that, okay, it doesn't become instantly, it comes over time. But I think that feeling that someone can trust you, that, that you're going to conduct business in the right way, you know, that, that you're not just trying to rip me off on a short-term gain. You know, you're, you're, you're someone who I can trust to help grow a part of my business or, um, in, in your case, kind of um, help maybe enter new markets or sell more or, or whatever it might be. And I think the more you can do to demonstrate that credibility and that trust, the lower risk you are as a an individual or a small business. I think that kind of confidence that comes from, as you said, it's like your, your first contract, uh, you've got a mini out of, you know, someone else might have low board and said, I want, I'm going to do it really cheap and stop panicking and, and, you know, whatever. And I think it's, it's that confidence to say, you know, I'm good at what I do. Yeah. This is a high value piece of work. You would usually be paying X for it from large consultancy. I'm charging Y, which is less. And the work is as good, if not better. And I'm going to stand by that. And I think that's really important. Absolutely. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, it, uh, it's been a pleasure. It always is. Thank you. Uh, and it's kind of fascinating to kind of hear your story. And I think anyone who is looking to help uh, uh, children in their future career, I'm sure if they would like to reach out to Mel that they can. Okay. If you want to connect with Mel on LinkedIn, obviously do so. And I look forward to seeing everyone on the next podcast. Bye-bye. And that wraps up another episode of the Evolve podcast. I hope you've taken inspiration and learned something from this week's interview. And I'd love to see you here next week. So please do subscribe. If you're interested in finding out more about what we're doing at Evolve, be sure to check us out by visiting goevolve.co.uk. And finally, remember, in business and in life, you never stop evolving. See you next week. (laughs) 